It's time for the No Shot Clock Podcast. We're talking the biggest stories in Illinois high school basketball. Hey, now, here are your hosts, Michael O'Brien of the Chicago Sun-Times and Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Boost Report. Welcome in, everybody. You are listening to episode number 122 as we wrap up a, well, our own version of March Madness, I guess, Mike. I don't know. Uh, it's it's as good as it gets, I guess, for this year. But we are down to one week of the season left, and it's just an asterisk of a week with only the Chicago Public League playing. Ah, the Chipotle Clash of Champions. Mike and I did our first all-dayer of the high school basketball season, I think, right? Is that pretty much? Well, I did several days where I, but I had to drive in between games. So no. This was the yeah, only I, one where I sat I met the old. I met the old-fashioned sitting in a gym yeah, all day. That was the only time I had to have my mask on for like 12 hours <laughs> consecutive. That was yeah. not ideal. Uh, um, yeah, it's... Uh, <clears throat> feels weird, actually. It almost feels, I don't know, almost more weird than a year ago to me. Just because we knew this was coming. That was just like a quick gut punch, leave me on the side of the road. And this is more, I knew it was coming, knew it was coming, and there's nothing really left to celebrate, I guess, is the... Do you know what I mean? Like the state tournament, you just... This definitely a, feels weirder, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's 100. a finality to it. Um, last year, there was a finality to it, just like, boom, done. We know this is... You got this public league thing kind of lingering. I don't know. Um, but I guess this is, what, this is what we expect from a season that no one knew was what it was going to be like, and we got one in. Uh, could it have been done better... I think so, but it's better than nothing. I think, and yeah, making this weirder, part of it is this CPS like trickling to this weird end. Like there's a bunch of canceled games. Like the conferences didn't pull off their full schedules. They didn't come close. And then there's no like final event. Like they didn't, they're not doing any crossover thing on that Saturday it's just a really weird Whitney Young and Simeon aren't going to play one another this season. And it just seems like it's because they don't want to. It's, I don't understand why the public league didn't put together something, especially on the Saturday, the last day of the season. I was just assuming. Yeah. Just have something that like a carrot out there for them. Yeah. Just public league related would have been right from the get go. All right, here's what we're doing. Or we get the extra week. I don't know. I mean, try to figure, manage something to, to get them enthused about, to get them enthusiastic about what's to play for in the last week. Because I get it, you know, we were talking before we went on here. You know, I get Simeon and Young, they rev themselves up. I know they did. They, they, they talked to their teams. They built this tournament appearance up. And, and I think they knew anything post Chipotle Clash of Champions was just going to be going through the motions. However, the other public league teams, as you as you said, aren't in that situation. And then the other part of it was what would have happened if something had been put together that mattered in the last week, only public league related, would that kept the juices flowing for not just Young and Simeon, but everybody. I I, I just think there could have been a little bit. I, I know they they had their their hurdles and obstacles because of their just the way everything went down with the public league and the and the later start and um just it was just a different animal than a lot of other areas of the the state dealt with. But just to have something to play for in the last week, I I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, most of the Red Northwest is only going to end up playing seven games this season and you compare that to some of these suburban and catholic league schools and they had like a third you know of the season 
so it's yeah it's just kind of it's ending just really weird and, and i don't know and i'm trying to deal with the football overlap and nobody seems to care about what's going on with the public league games and i'm trying to research the other stuff so it's like what do i do and then the cps isn't getting back to me about covering the games i need like i need to give them 48 hours notice and i send them this big list and everything and they haven't told me i can go to a game so it's like oh and the weirdest part i don't know if anybody noticed this chicago public league sports has like a twitter account now that they didn't used to and i don't think that many people follow it but they were making a huge deal out of the chipotle tournament they tweeted clips from it, all this stuff, almost like they had like money in it, you know, like they were <laughs> like they were financially part of it. But I mean, I know there wasn't that wasn't like some money maker or something, but it was it was weird to me. It's two teams. This is this was your foot, your basketball season. Two teams of your hundred participate in this event and you tweet about it a bunch. They're like, oh, it's so good to see live basketball. It's like what live basketball has been going on in the CPS for a couple of weeks. I, I, well, and they and they could have always let us, you know, more teams be streamed <laughs> than I don't know. I I just think it's a common occurrence. The organization uh, is lacking, and it has for years. It's been a a glaring weakness of the of the public league, and I think it just extended into when, when you've got even more hurdles and more issues to deal with. I think it just becomes even more of an issue and problem that or lack of organization and and foresight into looking at what can we do? Let's be creative. But I don't think any of that was put into play. No. And as a result, you and I are talking about this right now, like the way we are. Yeah, and I think but, and I think some of that falls on the IHSA. Yeah, there's a lot of things I could I could spend a whole podcast on. To, to be honest, of I mean, I guess this is my question, Joe, to you, because I talked about it in our newsletter this morning. Do you think this was the way to go? No, I think was it was it the podcast we talked about this last week? I mean, I I, I don't the 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 problem that was created the, the problem was created due to not being a little bit more creative back when their decisions were made. And by that, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to get into the whole COVID and, and I, but if the, if the, all the science and everything pointed towards, all right, the numbers are low in August, September, whatever, October, they sky, they're going to skyrocket November, December, January. And then, Hopefully they'll go down again. That's kind of what was projected. And it's pretty much played out that way. So why couldn't you kind of game plan around that specific knowledge that you have? Maybe it doesn't work out that way. So I go back to the whole be creative back in the fall and get some of the sports playing. That's what I don't understand. I don't understand why more sports weren't playing in August and September, if you if you remember, Mike, they were talking about starting basketball. What November, right? Yeah, back in August, September, correct? Yep. Well, they tried okay. to. Yeah. Right. So my point, they, they knew the numbers were low at that time, and I I know the state plays a part of this too, but you know they're going to get higher. <laughs> it just it was inevitable. They really thought they were going to play in November. No. So I mean. You, you gotta use some of the data and statistics that they're forecasting. And I'm like, okay, here is your time. Here is your little window of opportunity to get these. And by that, I keep going back to baseball and softball and just creating this, which leads you to the question now. I mean, if we had from when did basketball start? February what? Um, it actually started in January or January yeah. th- 25th or something. Yeah, it started at the end of January. I mean, if you came in the end of January and said, okay, we're clear to go, let's start it up. We've got from January to May to figure this out with basketball and football, with baseball already done. Because that's the big problem. These, You know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. However, let's pretend they didn't even do that. I just think if the IHSA would have – starting it immediately didn't work. 
for too much of the area. They just needed more lead time. For all the school districts that weren't in the building, they couldn't turn it around that fast. And, you know, the IHSA gave CPS another week, but they didn't give the Southland another week, you know, and they they didn't get started either. You know, a lot of the South Suburban schools, too many of the schools couldn't turn it around that quickly. They needed more lead time, you know, to get But the problem started. is that overlap of football and basketball. Well, then you push statewide. football back, too. I mean, look, and it, that, it's snowing out right now. I mean, the window closed. And so football, <clears throat> again, I don't know my future calendar well enough of yeah. when, when baseball starts. Uh, maybe you do off the top of your head. But, yeah, I mean, you could have looked at, you know, football because they're playing six well, weeks. No, 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 no. This is my point. Yeah, I don't think you have to extend the season. Extend what? I think basketball could still be ending now. And instead of Evanston and DeKalb playing 20 games, I think maybe everybody could have played 12 to 15. You get what I'm, I'm not, saying? I'm not, no. I think if you if you said the season starts in two weeks, everyone could have set up a decent season, even ending right now. Now we well, you're have, starting starting games later then. Yes. You wouldn't have had everybody nobody would have gotten to twenty games, you know, or probably fifteen. But I think everybody could have gotten close to twelve to fourteen and it would have just been better for everyone. Instead we had, as usual, the haves played a ton, and the have nots barely played at all. And I think we could have made that a lot closer by delaying it two weeks, personally. I mean, obviously, I called Ty Streets, you know, the day it all happened. And I'm like, so Ty, are you guys going to play? Because I was, because he wasn't sure and I wasn't sure the last time we talked. And he said, I don't know. He said, I haven't been in the building in months. You know, it might have been like a year. So I forgot what he told me. He said, I haven't even been in the building. Nobody has. He's like, I got no idea. And then we talked the next day and he said, I think they're fi- going to find out a way for us to play. Um, but I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And then the CPS had the problem with the, the physicals and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, the schools who had been in school, in class and were in the building, blah, 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 they're scheduling games. You know what I mean? And they're ready to go. So I just think another week of lead time for the CPS and for the, a lot of other schools would have, would have helped a lot is my point. Well, I, I, I also, I mean, the, the, you, you mentioned, I, I don't know why football had to start so early. I mean, I, and I don't want to get into the whole, like, we, they got to turn around and play in the fall. I, I, it's six games. They're playing six, right? Six games. CPS is playing five. Yeah. I mean, if you were starting football two weeks later than their original start date, I mean, why can't you play football into the first week of May? I mean, I, I, I have no know. idea. I mean, you know, baseball starts, um, I think practice starts like beginning of April and they are going to run a little late. I think the state tournament's like the 19th. So a lot of schools are out of school by then. Um, but I mean, they're getting a state tournament for goodness sake. It's and anyway. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was good. We, we got something. It's just, once again, I see some kids get so much and some kids get so little and it's the constant thing I see right and left. And it, just annoys me but all right let's move a let's move along um percentage wise though i think i don't know i mean no, most I, conferences no it's bad i um i've got it right here i did a big thing on it for the newsletter um let's see 12 percent of the area didn't play at all not one game and 140 teams of our nearly 400 played fewer than 10 games so, I mean, so that means 190 of our 400 teams played 10 or nothing. That's half the area. That's brilliant. right. But, 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 but my, my question is, and I don't know anything about it. Like what went on in the blue? I mean, you're, a lot of these are the, you know, blue south, blue north, uh, the white where they didn't play any games. Do you know what I'm saying? Actually, it was more little schools. 
uh, most of the CPS ones at least got a handful in, but it was like some of the weird, some of the conferences that we don't like independent school conference. A lot of those but, schools, did but almost every conference, sure. every conference that we pretty much cover, talk about has, I'm just scrolling through now. I mean, well, like the West Suburban half, has some really half, bad totals. What I'm saying is majority yeah. of the schools played 13, 14, 15 games. No, no. Well, you just mentioned the West Suburban. So everybody except for Oak Park. Morton. And Morton. Everybody else played at least 14, yeah. 15 games. Yes. So I'm just saying, I mean, I... When half the area plays less, plays single-digit games or none. Well, I know, but when you say half the area, you're talking about these little conferences. What, what, like, what? Why aren't those conferences playing? I have no idea why the um, what was the one who didn't play at all? Didn't play uh, the uh, hold on, I'm looking for it here. The one with like the French school and everything. Like the Noble League White. I I, I don't know why they didn't play any games. They did. Some well, I know, but I mean out. four games. Yeah. Five games, six games. I'm just saying the majority of the schools in the conferences that we always talk about all played 12, 13, 14, 15 games. But, I mean, also those West Suburban games, as you know, were hardly games. Well, I mean, that's their that's what their decision was. I, I know, but but I, I mean, think their decision might have been different. They want to play running clocks and if, if they and had more time, round robins and yeah, I think I think everybody I think maybe Hillcrest you know could have found out a way. I think that I think I think everything would have been better if everyone just got some more time back when it first went. It was just too hectic. It, it was it was a lot. Um, I think Hillcrest could have found a way. Their conference could have found a way to play some other games. I think maybe we'd have had more fans in some games. If we'd have waited that couple of weeks, so people, because I know a lot of I, I, I have no idea. You are not knowing. I have no problem with what you're saying, but then I want another week tacked on at the end. Well, we could have done it this week, like the right. CPS is. Yeah, have have one more week. Yeah. Anyway, it's <laughs> all right. We didn't even plan on talking about this, but uh, we're gonna do two takes, and then a real kind of quick rewind of our of our weekend, which will be heavy dose of. Uh, the Chipotle class of champions that Mike and I were at, as well as, you know, any other tidbits that we might throw in at the end. But, uh, you want to get us started, Mike, with your, uh, your first take? Yeah, we'll go to it. We're going to probably talk a lot of DePaul prep on this podcast, but they, they deserve it. As everybody listening to this, I'm sure knows they won the Chipotle clash of champions. And I actually, I, as anyone listening to this will know, I did not expect DePaul prep to win the, uh, the event. So I actually went to see them earlier that week thinking I would, um, I wanted to see the St. Rita kids, the the young team there, one more game. So I went to see DePaul at St. Rita thinking I'd see DePaul twice that week because they'd lose to young. <laughs> well, and you were at, you were at with me, weren't you at DePaul? Um, the week before the, Fenwick. the stream of it. Fenwick, Fenwick you were at the DePaul Fenwick. Yeah. The week before. Yeah. I mean, if anybody had watched DePaul Fenwick game, on our stream or live would not have guessed it either. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Cause yeah. they just, they did not play well at all in that game. Yeah. Well, Tom, go Tom, ahead. Tom Kleinschmidt said to me, um, I think after the semifinal, he was like, we were 12 and two heading into this, but I f- kind of felt like we were two and 12. <laughs> so, you know, DePaul, I mean, they wanted to win. They thought they could win, but I mean, they knew things had gone rough. They had a kind of a, not a COVID shutdown, but it, it kind of messed with things. I mean, mm-hmm. they only had like four on fours in practice. So Tommy Kleinschmidt said that was kind of a problem heading into that Fenwick game that they, it had been a kind of a rough start with practices and stuff. But anyway, um, I, I just thought it was really interesting how DePaul played and they clearly played for, starting with the Rita game, the Fenwick game that Joe and I saw, yeah, throw that out. It, it was bad. But then you look at the win against Rita, the win against Young, the win against Fenwick and the win against Evanston. Not only did the games feel the same, but even the scores play it out. It was a very Simeon feel to me. When Simeon plays how Robert Smith wants, when they're at their most successful, you know, he wants to score in the 50s. And people are always surprised by that. But when you think about those successful Simeon teams, 
they can have pretty long possessions. You know, they they like to control the tempo and they, they don't want to run up and down too much. They can, like DePaul Prep could, but overall they want games in the 50s and they want to be able to kind of suck it out there at the end and kind of establish domination. And that's exactly what DePaul Prep did. And against St. Reed, it's 55 to 35. Against Young, 55 to 43. The final against Evanston, 51 to 36. The, the Fenwick game was a little different, 45-42. There was some ugly back and forth in that, and it did have a good finish. That was the, the close one. But DePaul Prep showed what we see so often in high school basketball, success. It's not about depth. I mean, this team is what really sick. Actually, one kid started playing more at the end. Seven deep, tops, maybe six guys kind of. You know, that's all they've got in there, and that's with playing three games in, you know, two days. Um, so depth doesn't matter. You have your lead scoring guard in T.Y. Johnson. You got a rock solid point guard in Rashid Bello. You got guys, you know, like Sawyer who just kind of does what you need. And then you got a couple big guys doing the rebounding. They just had all the pieces you need in a high school basketball team, which we've learned time and time again is not necessarily five division one, five future division one players standing there looking at one another to see who's going to score next. You know, it was one of those things where it, 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 by the end of this tournament, it was clear. Everything was clicking. The defense has always been good, but they knew how to score when they needed to. Brian Matthews, you know, really had a, a great weekend. You know, I think a lot better than even some of his teammates thought he could uh, after talking to some of them at the Rita game, they knew he needed to step up big and he really, really did. And it, it, the last thing I want to say about the, the DePaul run is we did get something this year that we, that I didn't expect or didn't think about. And I think it's something we need to keep in mind for the next few seasons. Because let's say that it's a normal year and it's the Monday after the state tournament and Joe and I are sitting here talking and DePaul prep just won 3A and they just beat, oh, I don't know, Notre Dame in the final. What are the chances, Joe, that that team is ranked number one in my rankings? Not very high. <laughs> exactly. Probably nothing. If a local team won 4A, if Simeon won 4A or Young or Mundelein or whoever, this year we got a chance to, you know, see what was the best 3A team play the 4A teams in a playoff setting, and it's not what I would have predicted. It, it's not what I would have thought. And, and technically, the Paul Preps a two A team that that moves up to three A. So I, I think we got to maybe keep that in mind. And I personally maybe need a little look a little closer sometimes at that team that wins three A and not just give that top spot to four A. Although that's going to be tough to do after a full state tournament. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I mean that's. Um... You know, a couple things to your, your, your take. One, regarding the, the style and what they did. You know, you, you saw it in the young game in particular, where they, they maintained, they got an early lead, maintained the late lead for the most part. Uh, as Tyrone Slaughter told me, he said, you know, DePaul didn't take any bad shots. Yeah, exactly. it's, they missed shots, but they didn't take any bad shots. And when it got down, it was very reminiscent of Simeon at the end of games. Mm-hmm. You know, they they kind of took the air out, spread the floor, and there were four guards. They went four guards and a big, and they spread you out. And eventually, ultimately, they would get, uh, especially when you got T.Y. Johnson, uh, get uh, 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 penetration to the rim with that floor spread out. And that's just what they did, and repeatedly over and over again. And to the 3A, 4A, I mean, it just goes to show you at the top of, I get why they went four classes because they want to get more people, regional titles and all this across the state. But at the very top of 3A and 4A, they, they, they all can compete with one another every year. Uh, whether 3A can beat them or not doesn't, that's not my point. It's just that it's very competitive at the very top of the top two classes and, uh, you know, we haven't been able to kind of have any finality of what that is because of the four classes. You know, we see him play during the regular season, and we kind of forget a lot about that. 
whether they play at the holiday tournaments or January and then March rolls around and it's just two different identities and you do kind of forget just where they stand. You know, I know Morgan Park's been a power and they've played deep with the Chicago Public League or in the playoffs. But anyway, um, my, my first take is, you know, a, a lot of the season or at the end of this season has been about some makeshift conference tournaments, uh, which are fine, you know, to get more games. Conferences that have never really played conference tournaments were playing them or maybe some crossovers, you know, some pop-up ones that just came out of nowhere. But there was one that took place over the weekend that has been a mainstay that's been very tradition-rich and historical, and that's the Mid-Suburban League. I know we've talked a lot about the Mid-Suburban League, written a lot about the Mid-Suburban League, and it's been deserved. They've had a, a exceptional season. They, they've, they've had individual players who have really stood out. Uh, of course, they've got the only McDonald's All-American who's probably the best player ever to play up, play in the Mid-Suburban League and Max Christie. But this weekend, that game took place. And Mike's talked a little bit about, I think he just talked about maybe last week in a preview in the week, just kind of how special that game is. It's a league where the conferences, the, 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 the conference teams have been together in the Northwest suburbs for, for years. There hasn't been a whole lot of turnover. Uh, they, it's just become a game that matters. And I kind of felt bad that it was, you know, Mike said he's gone to it a number of years. I've gone to it, not every year, but here and there. And as far as our coverage of it, and you and I, and sometimes, uh, it was missing because of, of a, the calendar lend itself to us being at that Chipotle class of champions. And I, I give credit to Rolling Meadows. Because, yes, I know you're going to say, Joe, they had McDonald's All-American. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, and, but they were, they weren't able to get out and play a whole lot out of non-conference. Uh, they were a lot of a, a few non-conference games. Um, but they, they took care of business. They did every single thing in their path. And I'm writing a little bit about it in a, in a column this week that, you know, they played 15 games. They won all 15. They went at the time and, and, and got a St. Rita that, you know, no one knew quite how big of a game that was. Mike and I saw that game and they took care of St. Rita and played, played very well. Uh, I, I just give a lot of credit to Max Christie, you know, his brother Cameron Christie, who's, you know, one of the breakout sophomores and, uh, Orlando Thomas and, uh, Dan Sopkowitz, who's a terrific two sport guy who's probably better, maybe even better in football than he is basketball. I don't know. I, I just, I really give them credit for just going out, taking care of business in a league that, that still does really matter. Mike, you know, I know you poo poo sometimes conference races and I probably get into them a little bit more and I get Mike's point with, cause they're just so many conferences have changed and there's no history with a lot of them. And sometimes you don't even remember who's in a conference. That's not the case with a mid suburban league. And, uh, just to, for all, of the chaos of this season. The Mid-Suburban League was able to play it out just like they always do with the high stakes of a championship game with the MSL West and the MSL East champions meeting and Rolling Meadows took care of Barrington and, and, and finished the season 15 and 0. Jack Gleason was there, so we did have uh, Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> he watched. So that was important because, um, I'm actually going to change my, uh, my second take on, uh, fly on the fly i was going to talk about saint ignatius everybody you probably saw the story they beat curie um and if you read down to the bottom it was like like curie's lost hasn't lost a non a game that wasn't in a tournament or to simeon or to a team at you know the oak hill at the marshall county shootout or whatever basically like a normal game since 2016 against saint rita which was kind of shocking to me because you know curie does play in the you know, they host their own shootout here. You know, they've had plenty of chances. Um, anyway, so yeah, that was, that's how rare that St. Ignatius was. But, you know, we have talked about them next year. They're going to be one of the top teams, like really highly ranked next season. They got a lot coming back. But I think, you know, it's time. We might as well do a little player of the year chatter. Uh, cause I know people are very interested in that and we haven't talked about it much on the podcast. I haven't written about it much. Uh, I think one of the reasons Joe and I don't talk about it or write about it a whole lot is that we're 
both kind of worried about it. <laughs> I haven't made up my mind. Um, Joe and I talked about it a little bit the other day. I talked with Jack Leeson as well. I'm glad he was at the Barrington game uh, because he was telling me, you know, Max Christie didn't score a lot of points, but we've got a really tough decision on our hands over the next couple of days. Uh, I think, I mean, T.Y. Johnson had a very, he's in the conversation, I think, but but I think it's really most likely to come down to Max Christie, of course, and Bryce Hopkins. And nothing Bryce Hopkins did this week took him out of the running in any way. You know, he was very, very impressive. They did not pull off the win. You know, they lost to DePaul Prep, in, but it was the last shot. It came down to the very end. They actually gave it, and this has been in my head, Bryce Hopkins gave DePaul Prep the only scare they had in that tournament. You know, it, it was a three-point game, and he, he could have had a shot at the end to win it. He wasn't able to pull it off, but, you know, that's something Whitney Young and Evanston, they weren't within, like, 15, 20 points. So that that's an impressive, you know, feather in Bryce Hopkins' cap. He's been an incredibly productive player for three years. And, you know, he has just played much better competition than Max Christie. And you don't want to, you know, crap on the MSL, which was really good this year. They, I mean, Barrington had a really good season. From what I hear, there was a fun team to watch. I did not get to cover them. But it's just, you know, I went back and I looked, Joe, and, you know, the, the biggest game of Max Christie's career was a loss to Bryce Hopkins and Fenwick, in which Bryce Hopkins put up better numbers. And that makes it, it's a tough decision and I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And it's a little troubling to be at that state days ahead of time with no other games, you know, to make up your mind and no state tournament. We just, it's tough and I'm feeling kind of weird about it and I'm not sure where I'm going to go. There wasn't opportunities and then you have to, you know, differentiate between, you know, between the lack of opportunities that, or no fault of his own, Max Christie I'm talking about, um, you know, versus a built-in schedule that obviously Bryce Hopkins plays. And you're right, Bryce was terrific down the stretch in particular. He he had 30-plus against uh, Loyola in a win. He, you know, he had 31 in that first-round win at the Chipotle Class of Champions. So I, I agree everything. I think it's a real toss-up. Um, you know, not that we, it would be decided on this, but, you know, Max Christie and Bryce Hopkins, Fenwick and Rolling Meadows were scheduled to play in a normal year. They were, that would have been a huge platform, uh, particularly from Rolling Meadows if they would have played in my January game that I had set for when sides collide. It was postponed and canceled because of, you know, everything. But yeah, I, I, it is difficult. It's, it, again, it's not even, as Mike has pointed out, it has nothing to do with with who the best prospect is, uh, who has bigger upside, or who's the McDonald's All-American, or it is based on the high school season, player of the year, uh, with, you know, what they've done with their team. And I, I've, but the thing with Bryce Hopkins is this, of all of the highly ranked teams, there is no team who an individual player was either either forced to carry or just did so because of their talent more so than Bryce Hopkins. Uh, you know, they, they played a pretty tough schedule. Uh, they made a little run in the, you know, an opportunity to play on a big stage in that final weekend. And, you know, it, it, that helps. Uh, it's just like any other player of the year award. It's just like the Heisman Trophy. You know, it's the same deal. And taking advantage of signature moments and high-profile events and games uh, bodes well for any player of the year race. So I, I totally get it. I'm, I'm with you as far as. You know, I have my own thoughts on who the best player is. I mean, as far as it just but their impact matters and, and who they're doing it against and all of that. But, um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, hide the fact I've ranked Max Christie number one as the number one prospect. And I still maintain that Max, you know, they're, they're both ranked very, very high nationally. And I think it's those two. And I know you mentioned Isaiah Barnes kind of closing the gap from that next wave 
Um, I still think that's there's a bigger gap, I think, uh, than than maybe you think. But you know, I, those two just have been. You talk about Mike. We always talk about prospects and great players. How about the the production of those two kids yeah. over their careers? I mean, you know, Bryce. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we don't I have wrote, to. There have been plenty of names we've um, debated on this podcast. They were in the Player of the Year conversation. And I'm sitting here yelling, <laughs> "They're not scoring 15 points again." Well, right. Yeah. Or and and, yeah. and and think about not even like uh, you know. I know it's based on the senior year, but man, the, the career and longevity of these two. You yeah. know, Bryce was sparingly as a freshman, but Max put up significant numbers as a freshman and just kept it up. And Bryce went for 24 a game, 24 and 10 as a sophomore. I think I just wrote it. Is that what I just wrote about? I think it's coming in a column that's coming in. But anyway, yeah, so they, they have been, they were hyped up pretty early, max a little bit earlier, and they both have completely lived up to it. Yeah. They really have. And, and again, that's kind of why I wanted to touch on Rolling Meadows. There's nothing more the Rolling Meadows could have done this year. They yeah. played their 15 games. Could they maybe try to get one more game instead of their non-conference games they play? It, it was a tricky, tough situation for them. Uh, Scheduling wise, my second take is, is, is on the Chipotle class of champions and it's been talked about. I know I just wanted to hit it one more time because I finally got to witness it and see it in action live. And it's something else I, I wrote about, but I just wanted to put it in the podcast as well. I, I, I felt the energy. I felt the enthusiasm. From the get-go in these games, I, I felt a sense of um, just more intensity throughout the game as it was played. And then I really appreciated what the games meant based on the reaction of both the winning and losing teams. I've been to a lot of games this year, watched even more you know, that I've ever watched on stream because you just couldn't get to as many. And... There was a different feeling, a different reaction uh, that was more typical of what we'd seen at the closure of other seasons, whether it be a regional or sectional or down in Peoria. And no, is 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 losing was losing those games the equivalent of a super sectional loss and not getting into Peoria? No, uh, but there was some real raw emotion in in some of these on a lot of these kids at the conclusion of their games and, and you could see it in their faces. You could, you could feel it. Um, and I, I just wanted to give another little shout to shout out to Rick Malnati for kind of having the, this is kind of what I mean, Mike, about the IHSA and about other people like get creative. You know, I, Rick Malnati called me with this idea and I poo pooed it right away. Not right away, but I'm just like, eh, I don't know, man. It's going to be a pain in the neck, hectic, trying to figure out how to do this. Because helping Rick along the way, it, it it was way more work than I think people realize in getting it all together. Even at the end, there were some questions about if a team could play, and we had to figure that out, and who would be the replacement, and uh, the sites of where to play the games at, if this team wasn't in it, and, and, and the Central Suburban League went with their route, which was great, but then there were tie There was a lot of things that go into play, and but this goes back to the creativity. The season was thrown at us, and Rick Malnati immediately like, here's an idea. How about this? Could have been expanded. Sure. We, we It just couldn't be done, though. And so I give him credit for coming up with the plan, sticking to it, making it work. And I know it was only for eight teams. And I know that was Mike's concern when we, when we first brought it up. We didn't want to make the whole season about it. But, man, it was honestly really nice to feel some sense of normal high school basketball. I know there weren't crowds there, and I know it wasn't for a, a real state championship. But there was definitely an element there that was unlike anything else I've seen this this weird high school basketball season. And now that it's all done and completed, I'm glad it happened. I couldn't get over the appreciation that, you know, we, we, we did those stream games, so people were always talking to us about that with no fans in the stands TVs thing. And, and But the appreciation, whether it be in a text, emails, or in person, from the players and coaches that were involved, 
was was kind of overwhelming and um, kind of proved its point of why it needed to be played. Yeah, it went it went well. It was nice to have a um, you know, I'm glad it happened. Uh, you know, everybody knows my reservations about it, and I enjoyed it. Um, there's just something about. Like every team that finished on Saturday, they knew they were finishing on Saturday. And it's always sad to play your last game. But it's different when if you win, you get to play one more and lose in that one. You know what I mean? That one hurts. Because if you won, you'd have had another game. And that's what everybody usually gets in high school basketball. And that's what's awesome. And that's what so much of the area didn't get to. So it was fun to watch the kids that got to do that. And it was cool. And and as Joe said... A lot of people could have done this, you know, there could have been ways. And I, I know some conferences did where you could have played more, but it's, yeah, it, it's a mess. And thank goodness we had something. And I know on Twitter, I think today or yesterday, Julia Catholic's best uh, volleyball coach was pleading with the volleyball community to find a way to do it, you know, to figure out a way to do what Rick Milnati did. She tagged some of the prominent people in the sport um, so it's not, it's not just basketball that was looking at this. A lot of the high school sports that are about to happen and stuff are thinking, man, why can't we put something together like that? And that's a, that's a very high compliment, you know, for somebody outside of the world to look at it and wish that it would happen in theirs. So that, that says a lot about what Rick put together over the weekend. Um, want to dive in, Joe? What, what do you want to? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, we've talked a lot about DePaul. I mean, I, I guess. I think the easiest way to do it is just, how about we just talk about what stood out to us from the opening round that Friday? Um, you know, I, I <laughs> Wait, was, Joe, it was just me weeping outside when I heard Connor Enright wasn't going to play. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, was the first yeah, day. <laughs> that was the first downer of the weekend. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I got wind of it, you know, Thursday and, you know, I talked, we talked about it in the podcast. My days are all mixed up, but yeah. you know, I, I was really impressed. <laughs> I thought, okay, I think, and I, and I, Simeon, you know, no disrespect to St. Patrick, but they were the weakest team in the field and Simeon completely took care of them. And I thought did so in pretty convincing fashion and in an impressive fashion, I should say. Okay. So you, you, you take the, it was, I had the feel of a state tournament in terms of that regard, like, okay, how they looked knowing they're coming back the next day. You can see the next team they're playing. I'm doing the games on the stream it's all condensed. You know what I mean? You know, when, when you're John and Peoria and you're watching the quarterfinals back in the old days when they had eight teams and they would come back and play that next day, your mind would, would change based on what happened that day and the matchup that would occur. It, it was almost like the, the previous four months were wiped out and you're just focused on that day and what's going to happen the next day in the matchup with the two teams you just watched. So when I saw Simeon, you know, take apart St. Pat's. And again, it was the, the, the weaker team in the field. And, and then I watched Evanston with one of those Blake Peters moments, which was the, to me, was the highlight of the whole weekend of, you know, anyway, missed it. Buzzer beater, a little step back three, uh, adds to the legacy of Blake Peters, who's the ultimate winner at Evanston. You know, Evanston beat probably the, had the toughest first round game, but, I thought Simeon looked too good. Simeon's going to take care of Evanston tomorrow. Uh, and, you know, to Evanston's credit, that didn't happen. You know, the other bracket, I know you were, you know, down, not just you, I mean, line fans, everybody, I, you want to see every team in that field at their strongest. And, uh, Connor Enright is obviously a huge loss for Mundeline. Uh, so they went down, uh, to Fenwick in the nightcap and then, you know, DePaul prep young. I mean, Mike and I have watched young. I, my thoughts were, you know, and I know it's <laughs> Tyrone Slaughter and probably every player's thought too. That's the worst performance they've had all year. Give that, you know, that's dictated a little bit on DePaul and what they did to them specific, uh, specifically defensively. But, uh, T.Y. Johnson in that game, man, I mean, he, he had 32, I think, and it, it really emerged this year. He was a breakout player last year, had a good sophomore season, but he was a legit go-to star this whole high school basketball season. And, you know, I, I can't give enough credit to his rise as a player. 
Uh, but you know, they took care of, of, uh, young and we talked, you talked a little bit about that already, but you know, those are just kind of my real quick impressions. Um, you know, young was obviously disappointing. Their big names did not perform, uh, to the level, you know, I know Tyrone Slaughter said they were nicked up and banged up a little bit. He didn't, he made no, you know, had nothing to do with excuse, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 the other thing that stands out is every one of those teams, except for young are led by a senior. Uh, you know, Simeon's got some youth, but you know, Isaiah Barnes has been there uh, at the varsity level, whether it be Oak Park at Simeon, been through some wars. He was their catalyst all season long. Obviously all the other teams were pretty senior dominated. Uh, and Young just wasn't. So that's one thing that kind of stood out too. Yeah, I think on the, I was surprised St. Patrick didn't put up a better fight. Um, quite really surprised. Some of their players who had been extremely aggressive all season kind of didn't show. I, I was really surprised by that. Um, one of the, that was one of the more surprising things actually. I mean, I obviously I picked Simeon to win the thing. I thought Simeon was going to win that game, but I did think it would be much more competitive than it, than it was for sure. And Simeon, you're right. They definitely look like the team that was going to win it to me after that. Uh, the young DePaul game, you see, at least for, that was not the worst I'd seen young play. I, I'd seen young play some rough games this season. You know, they were down to Mount Carmel late by double digits, you know, at Mount Carmel that game I was at. But the difference in this one was DePaul didn't let them. You know, we've seen, you know, we went on to see how DePaul finishes games. You weren't gumming back against DePaul. You know, th- there was no way they were giving up a lead in this tournament, you know, or in any game last week. And that's what happened to Young. You know, they were down five points at halftime. And I think Mount Carmel had done double digits late in the third quarter. You know, but but they were able to turn it on, and they did that against some other Catholic League teams this year too. But not against DePaul Prep. You know, they 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 were just too good. Uh, as far as the Mundelein game, gosh, that started. You know, Mundelein came out on fire. They led, I think, by ten after at the first quarter. Um, they were up like twenty four to twelve or something. And then Bryce Hopkins, and this is going to be in my mind a lot when. Um, Real quick on Mundelein. Yeah, I, I interrupt you. <laughs> Don't you think of all eight teams, it felt like Mundelein was like played with a more so than any other team, a chip on their shoulder and wanted it more and, and had something to prove and came out, like you said, on fire. Like they were attacking. They were. Sure, that's why I love them over the last I mean, two years. They always play they just, like that. They yes, just felt yeah, like, they did. Um, you know, that those, oh, it, yeah. it, 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 it mattered for everybody, but. I think too at the end right, you know, thing. I, Cause a lot of times I've talked about this on the, on the stream. A lot of times when you, the immediate reaction when you lose a player is, all right, you, you kind of rally around it. And sometimes that first game or two, you play yeah. above and beyond without your player. Uh, I give them a lot of credit for hanging in there, toughing it out, but go ahead to your. Well, you, it, you it's to. Bryce Hopkins because I think that might have continued. I think they might win that game if not for Bryce Hopkins. Very early in that game, getting Scotty Abubi on the bench. And he got two fouls really quick. You know, and it was with Bryce Hopkins attacking Abubi in the post. And I, that was the first thing I asked Bryce Hopkins about after the game. And he got a smile on his face and he knew exactly what he was doing. You know, that was not by chance that Mundelein all of a sudden was not without one of their stars, but both of them, you know, for such long stretches of the game. And I think that move might have really helped keep the Well, it definitely did. It helped the Mustangs from keeping that momentum. It, it just, it was like, oh my gosh, another thing has to go wrong. And Abube did play a bit in the second quarter. I thought Matt Badgley did a really good job of managing that. Um, but it, Scotty Abube is not a player, you know, that wins with, fancy skill moves <laughs> he's a player that is about raw punishing force and that's pretty hard to do when you're worried about fouls <laughs> the whole darn game so and and credit to Fenwick and Bryce Hopkins because they made it that way you know and that was really impressive and that's the kind of thing a player of the year does you know what I mean he it's it's not just about scoring he 
single-handedly in a way kind of squelched all of that Mundelein firepower because it yeah it really did look like they came out and they were going to win that game um what's the one we didn't talk about in the first well I, I i mean in the first day yeah well we talked a lot about the you know DePaul oh, young and, oh yeah that's all and, of it. okay the evans but um, game. yeah my, my my thing with evanson notre dame was just and, and again i want to pick on notre dame but we saw Notre Dame early. They lost to Mundelein without Anthony Sales. He was still banged up. And I, they just never kind of this year reached the point of where we saw them a year ago. And for whatever the reasons were, even little things like missing Jason Bergstrom, a key player from last year's team, a senior who was kind of tough and made big shots for them. I, whatever the reasons, um, it was just a different looking team and they just never were able to really become that fluid, particularly on offense, uh, that fluid offensive team that, that I kind of expected. Louis Lesman though was a, was a, um, a stud. I mean, he, he, if anybody really watched that game and what he did with Blake Peters, I mean, he made things so difficult. I think Peters had 10 or 12 points, hit the big game-winning three, but Louis Lesman's a terrific defensive player. He's guarded the best player of opposing teams all year. He's got the size and length to really give problems to people on the perimeter. Uh, you know, I just didn't ever, I mean, Notre Dame could very easily, obviously they were, they were seconds away from winning and advancing, but, and, and getting to play on their home court in semifinals, but Blake Peters, uh, he is, been one of the real fun players to cover, to watch, uh, to kind of just follow over the last four years with all the success and all the wins and all the big moments he's had over the course of his career. And again, also how he handles himself. I, I've, tried, I've tweeted about it. I've written about it. He is just a competitive kid. It's all about winning and doing the right thing. And uh, Mike's talked about how you know how sharp he is for a high school kid, immature he is, and interviews and talking to him, and uh, he's just a, a a terrific high school basketball player. He's got a bright future, both at Princeton and beyond. To, to be honest with you, yeah, I think that Anthony Sales point um, is important. It, it was really clear to me in that game that that was not Anthony Sales. He was out there, but he was hurting. He had he took five shots. I just looked, and he had one rebound. And he just wasn't involved. It, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that they were not at full strength um, for that game. But they did start out so well that it looked like, you know, Lesmond kind of put them on their back. But then for the last 12 minutes, Lesmond didn't score and they didn't have another option. You know, it just wasn't – there wasn't anybody else that was able to, to step up. And kind of faded away there. And the heroics by Blake, who, yeah, if – Joe and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. I don't know, a day or two ago, but, you know, Blake Peters isn't going to win the player of the year award, but we, I used to do that thing all the time where you have signature moments and you go through a guy's whole career of all the big moments and everybody reads it in the paper and remembers those things of the last four years. And the guy who'd be easiest to do that for of this senior class is definitely Blake Peters. You know, it's not even close. Yeah. And he didn't even get two state tournaments. <laughs> Imagine if he'd had right. two state tournament runs. You well, know? that's the, that's the, the sad part that just what would have been. I mean, Evanson was set to play in a sectional final last year on a, with a team that I loved. And I think we all thought had a chance to, to get to Peoria and bring, well, they were close. They get to Peoria, get another state trophy. And then of course this year, like what Blake Peters missed and Evanson missed out on to add to that legacy, like you just said. Um, I thought the Evanston Simeon semifinal, Mike, was as competitive and on high, especially in that early going, man. See, I, I saw uh, you read and tweeted that. Yeah, I thought it just ended so bad. Well, it ended, but that first part of that game, they, they, they went, yeah. they went at it. I, I, I just thought the intensity level of it was, was pretty high. Yeah. Um, I thought the first half was great and the second half was bad. Um, was my take. And the Isaiah Barn, I, I I hope nobody's like saying, "Oh, Isaiah Barnes got hurt, and that's why they lost." Because that's not the case um, at all. If you didn't watch the game, uh, Evanson had already made its move, and kind of they're up by four or six, and it felt like more when Barnes left the game. 
So I, I would not say I, I don't. I mean, I don't think the outcome's any different if Barnes stays in personally. But no, no. I mean, uh, yeah, I, Evanston just and they, they played they played well. Uh, you know, and again they got those guards, Elijah Bull. Um, you know, Holden. I I I don't know. I, I, I it's 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 funny that Evanston was almost not in the tournament. <laughs> in fact, that Glenbrook South was going to be the team. Until Nutrier took out Glenbrook South and Evanston gets back in and makes a run to the title game. Uh, I, I wasn't shocked Evanston beat Simeon, but I fully expected Simeon to win. Uh, and I think the big story of the whole thing though, uh, yes, DePaul winning it was the story, but the fact, if you would have told me when we preview that thing last weekend that Simeon and Young would both be knocked out, that we wouldn't have either one of them in the final. I, I would have been, that would have been shocking to me if you would have told me that last week. And that came to, uh, to become reality. And I, I was really, really surprised that both were knocked out before the championship game. Yeah. I think I didn't put enough credence into the fact that, you know, Simeon, they were playing their seventh game and Evanston was playing their 19th. And that's, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of difference in the season, especially since I'd like seen the last three Simeon games, seen how much better they'd gotten, you know, just over those three games. It was just, I think, a kind of a bridge too far for even a very talented Simeon team to deal with a much kind of more finely oiled machine of Evanston. And even the, the margin, you know, that game did not come down to the final minutes. That thing had, was over for the last few minutes, and it was, I think, a nine-point win for Evanston. That's it was pretty convincing. So that was not just the outcome, but how convincing it was was surprising to me as well. Uh, Prince Adams, we should mention him. I think we mentioned him last time. I like the kid, and he 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 led them. A sophomore led Evanston in scoring in a win against Simeon. When's the last time that happened? Prince him, maybe Blake Peters. <laughs> but uh, 15 points, 5 rebounds for Adams. He's an interesting player, um, one we'll be hearing a lot about next year. Uh, Rashawn Bost is also back from that team, so they don't lose at all next year. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, uh, you know, DePaul, obviously, it's a big moment for the Catholic League, too. Uh, you know, DePaul took care of Young. You know, DePaul and Fenwick played in the semis. You mentioned St. Ignatius knocking off Curie the, the week before. Uh it is, um, you know, the, the, the future is also bright in the Catholic League. I mean, they, they, they've got some established programs already, but, you know, there's a couple with some good young talent coming along too. So, uh, I, I, they did definitely make a statement and a lot of credit to the Catholic League. I think it's been a, a process for the Catholic League for years and years and years. I mean, years and years and years and years. We didn't see a Catholic League team playing in Champaign or Peoria. I think from, you know, other, you know, people forget St. Joe's was not, uh, when they won their state title, they were not in the Catholic League. They were East Suburban Catholic. So I, I believe, and this isn't exact, but whenever Mount Carmel in the mid eighties, they went from Mount Carmel in the mid eighties. And I think they went 20 some years before um, a state trophy was won again. It's uh, big school. Yeah, big school. Right, correct. Uh, and I think you know St. Joe's got down several years ago with Rakovich and and Glenn Watson and those that group when they were a part of the Catholic League. You know Fenwick got down with with uh, DJ Stewart and finished second in the state. And so they, they've had now it's about taking that next step. Uh, you know and, and claiming a state championship. As a Catholic League team, you know, St. Joe's, I know it did, Pingator 1-1, but, you know, just to continue to compete at that highest level. Yeah, and I think we shouldn't, though, the Hales teams were ranked number one occasionally and could have easily won a 3A title if that existed back then. Um, mm -hmm. So they did have, there was a high point, you know, there in the, what would that have been, early 2000s? Maybe because Leo was pretty good back then. Seton put together teams, but I would say classify Seton more as a small school, you know, 
they, they weren't yeah. in a three. I just mean the broad, oh, broad yeah. view of, of high schools school are basketball. All closed. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. when you look at the standings, it's like there's no state titles here <laughs> because you know you, you forget. It's easy to forget about Hales when you know when you don't see the uh, the name there uh, anymore. All right, I, that'll wrap us up for this week. We will be back next week, and we'll do all area. We never usually take a big look at all area because of what's going on but we'll talk the all area team and our player of the year decision um kind of wrap the year up that way thanks for listening everybody